What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site in New York's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, the countdown is on. Just a mere 30 shopping days left until Christmas, and the buying bonanza kicks off in hours as Black Friday gets underway. We'll break down what's at stake for retailers this holiday season. Plus, a big bet on Bitcoin. Fast Money friend Tom Lee calling for prices to nearly double by the end of this year. Why he sees a big breakout building. And later, bust out the fancy silverware. It's a Fast Money Friendsgiving. Our traders are serving up a heaping helping of their favorite food snack stocks. And a few names they are leaving as leftovers. But we start off in a festive mood this Thanksgiving Eve. After a two-year wait, the balloons are prepped, ready to go for tomorrow's Thanksgiving Day Parade, where Santa Claus is set to be the star attraction. But has St. Nick already come and gone for Wall Street this year? The S&P 500 eking out a gain today, but it's still down nearly a percent from the record hit on Monday. The Nasdaq down more than 2%. So is it too late to get in on the seasonal Santa Claus rally? And will investors be left with a lump of coal in their stockings this holiday? Guy Adami, happy hump day, the day before Gobble Gobble Day. What do you think? You're setting me up to be a little Ebenezer Scrooge here, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get involved in your reindeer games, there, Melms. I've done this long enough to know. I mean, nah. this market is impervious. The sell-off probably happened already. You know, we're in seasonality period. I think Steve spoke to it last night. Where we we'll probably continue to grind higher. Listen, I thought a couple months ago, back in October, we trade 4100, but then close higher in the year. Got the 4270. Here we are. I think the grind continues, and I think if you want to take something out of a pretty quiet day, if there's one thing to take, just in my opinion, the moving rates today was interesting. Traded up to 169 in the 10-year, reverse, closed lower on a day. I think that should assuage some of the concerns for people as we get into what is, as you know, Mel, the gobble-gobble day after this hump day that we find ourselves on. You said assuage. I thought maybe you said suede, referring to Tim Seymour's vest, which he is sporting tonight with the Yule log behind him, of course. Tim, what do you think? Have we seen the best days for the S&P for for 2021? I don't think so. But um, first of all, it is it is toasty by this fire. And I am on location on the Upper West Side on Central Park West. So we have uh, <laughs> sightings of underdog and many other balloons out there. But but if, if you think about it, while you were waiting for Santa to come, he already dropped presents under the tree. I mean, we're up tw- we're up ten and a half percent on the S&P since that October four low. So you can make an argument. We've had a pretty darn good rally. You can also make an argument that if you look at guys talking about interest rates, I mean, look at the short end of the curve. Look at Fed fund futures. Look at look at where we are in terms of how much Fed we're going to have next year. And any time you have the Fed involved and I mean involved from a tightening perspective, it's not a good backdrop for markets. I, I think we have some more room to run here. 
I do think that we've had the type of leadership built from mega cap tech uh, that, you know, look, that's going to take the market higher. Uh, I think if you look below the surface, we've talked about that all week. There's some pain. Uh, but I think next year's the conversation to be more concerned about. But I, I think Santa's already come early because of supply constraint, constraints and, and disruptions. I, I think there's a lot of stuff under your tree already, and I wouldn't be expecting a lot more. I mean, the yield move that Guy was highlighting today, Steve, seems it seems to point to a desire uh, for bonds to test 174, which, of course, was the high from earlier this year. Yeah, I think we should test that level and it will probably uh, actually break through to that level. And then there'll be a, a, a lot of fanfare that the rally's over, that we're going to explode with inflation and yada, yada, yada. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're not going to see a lot from the Fed, despite what everyone thinks. I think it's gonna be accommodative for most of the year. I think the Fed will do some things around the edges, but nothing to hamper the rally. Um, I think the large cap tech names are gonna be just fine. The mega growth names will continue to fade. And I think that the problem that I and many others will have is when do the cyclicals really start to move forward if we're going to be looking more at deflation versus inflation. So I think it's going to be a little bit of rotation, but I think the markets can go higher. Dan, what are your thoughts? I don't think anybody is capable of reading Dan's lips. Oh, there we go. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh. Uh, I just downloaded Skype on a new computer here. All right, listen here. I just think that Tim had it right here. When you say that there's going to be a lot more Fed in 2022, regardless of what Steve thinks they're going to do around the edges, um, the perception is that they're going to be tapering. They're going to be done at some point in 2022. And the expectations for uh, rate hikes have been pulled forward here. So at some point early in 2022, the markets or investors are going to have to reprice things. They're starting to reprice a lot of high valuation growth that's not particularly profitable. They will eventually get to these mega cap names. I'm just telling you, there's no way to avoid it. And if you think back to Q1 of this year, what was the massive underperformance that we saw and what groups would rates were rising. It was mega cap tech. The Nasdaq did reverse most of its early year gains. And obviously, it's gone up a whole heck of a lot since then. I think what's most troubling as we head into the new year is that Microsoft has gained a half a trillion dollars in market cap in a less than two months. So has Tesla. NVIDIA's gained $300 billion. Um, Apple is trading at an all-time high, still underperforming the Nasdaq, but it's up 16% in a little more than a month and a half or so. I mean, that's not particularly sustainable, especially if you're going to be repricing growth here. And those are expensive names, unless you're telling me at 28 times, okay, that this is just a new uh, evaluation regime. I just don't buy it. There's nothing in my 25 years in the history of my history in the market that tells me otherwise. So the more you get right now into the holiday season is the more that comes off at some point in early uh, 2022. There's a vast difference, of course, between a Zoom or a Peloton uh, and a Microsoft or an Apple. So, so, Guy, do you think that the writing is necessarily on the wall, that it's just a matter of time before this tech sell-off reaches the mega caps? Because if it does, then we do have a problem, right? The overall markets have a problem for sure. 
we started the show, you tasked us with, you know, uh, is Santa going to come? So that to me is the next month or so. I, I, I think, yes, we will face that, but I don't think we're going to face it until mid-2022 or thereabouts. I think these big, these big cap names that are still relatively fairly valued, like Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Google, to a certain extent, even Amazon, believe it or not, I think they'll continue to do the grind. Um, and I apologize on Dan's behalf. He actually asked me to go to the application store for him to buy the, the Skype thing, and I wasn't able to get there. It's just too much traffic on the road. So the I apologize, Mel, and to yeah. our Fast Muddy audience. Yeah. The lines are real long at the application store these days. So it's really popular. Um, Steve Grasso, what sectors do you want to be? What do you, is there a seasonal trade sector-wise to your end, in your view? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, one of the names that I hold is still uh, Sonos. And I think the, 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 a lot of their headwinds where you couldn't get products on the shelves, you couldn't get products for them to actually uh, get in the hands of consumers. Those are have gone by the wayside. I think names like that, I think travel names uh, will be up. Names like uh, uh, Costco will be up. There'll be a, a chase still for some portions of retail. Other portions, as we've seen, that don't have pricing power will fall out of bed. I don't think you're going to see, I, I think you're going to see vacation stocks come into vogue again. People couldn't get out of their home. Now they're planning vacation six, eight, nine months out because they just don't want to lose a spot on a plane. So airlines, hotels, retail, some of the names in the higher end, retail. And, and then if you want to go cyclical, you can go with the banks if you think rates are moving substantially higher. What do you think is, is the trade for the next month? I mean, talk about fast money. That's fast money, right? But for the next month till year end, Tim, where do you think you get the most bang for your buck? I'm comfortable with that time horizon, by the way. That, that works. And, and I mm -hmm. think if you look at the durable goods number today up 9.8%, if you look at where PPI has been, I mean, these are trades that are very good for resources and, and essentially reflation type trades. Uh, the dollar is has been a bogey here to watch. It's up almost 4% in the month of November. Uh, on some level, it's actually supporting that. Uh, and on some level, it, it's a headwind. And clearly, it's a headwind for other parts of the world, especially big producers of some of these resources or this machinery. But um, I think that's the trade. I, I think, you know, energy is, is going to be uh, continued to be, I think, supported. We, we can talk all we want about what's going on on the politics of oil. But the reality is that there are supply demand uh, constraints that are that are pushing the prices higher. You have a case here where I think resources around infrastructure. I know this has been talked about. This isn't a new idea. But again, you're seeing miners that have never been run better. And now you actually have the financial market conditions to see these things run higher. So I think that's really the trade. I, I'm not too worried about mega cap tech yet. Um, and I do think they're going to be more uh, defensive than some of these high multiple names in a, in a rising rate environment. And that's exactly what we've seen of late. Dan? Yeah, no one's worried about the mega cap tech. That's the problem. Everyone's on one side. I'm just telling you, it's all going to happen quickly. Um, I will say one area that I actually think is worth a shot into year end, Snap, Twitter, Pinterest, all down 30% in a little more than a month. I think Lyft also down about 25% since the highs that it made post their Q3 results. I think there's some really good opportunities there. I think there are gaps to be filled in those names over the next couple of months. I smell a segment for the December 31st edition of Fast Money in terms of revisiting what our predictions were for the best trades going into year end. So, Guy, just to round it out, what are your picks? 
No, it's interesting he says that. You know, Zoom, you might have had capitulation today. So I understand exactly what Dan's saying. Some of these names have gotten beaten up. Maybe, you know, a lot of the sellers have just exhausted themselves. Maybe they're worth a look. We had Sawhill Bloom on last night talking about Twitter. And I think Twitter, given the sell-off it's recently had, is worth a look as well. I think Lyft is a much better company than Uber, so I'm with Dan on that one. And I'll throw one more in there for you, Melms, because I'm with Tim on this one. These resources trades, which had a huge run, have sold off. I think Alcoa can rally into year-end as well. We'll talk on New Year's Eve. All right. Our next guest uh, believes Wall Street is on the cusp of a Santa rally. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Tom Lee. Tom is the managing partner of Fundstrat and a CNBC contributor. Tom, always great to see you. Yeah, great to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I'll, I'll ask you the same question. What are the best trades in your view to year end? Uh, you know, I think interest rates are going to be one of the key pivots. But from an equity perspective, uh, we're entering a seasonally strong period. You know, th- Powell's renominated. There's a lot of cash on the sidelines. I know there's been a lot of volatility lately that's put a lot of money on the sidelines, and there's been some tax loss selling. So I think we're going to finish quite strongly, but I see this led by not only just cyclicals, but also the FANG complex. So it's almost a FANG plus epicenter rally. And you're, you're still sticking by your 4,800 to your end, so there's 100 S&P points from where we are right now. Is that right? Yes, I, I think probably more correctly. I think we're going to surpass 4,800 uh, into year end, and you know, part of it is going to be to the extent that some of the things that have scared people, like the European lockdowns, those aren't going to be for six weeks. So I think as soon as those lift, you know, we're going to go back into a much stronger risk on environment. So you know, it could be, you know, for it could be a 4,900 number, but I would say 4,800 is probably the base case into year end. Hey, Tom, it's, it, it's Tim. Talk about energy and talk about the positioning of institutions and your clients uh, on this trade. Are they going to ever be investors again? Um, and Carter comes on and talks all about how actually it's been a bit of a head fake on energy. We talk a lot about the oil price, but who's really investing here? Uh, yeah, I, I'd say that investors in, in 2021, like institutional, kind of looked at energy but from a distance because they thought, okay, this is a small group and it's made a big move and they figured oil wasn't really gonna go anywhere. Um, But as you know, oil's actually now getting to be a very tight market. And I think the White House fired its last bullet in terms of releasing the SPR. So I think oil now has a runway to actually move, you know, towards a hundred. And as investors think about 2022, I think at the top of the list is exactly what you guys described, that it's a resource uh, energy equity trade because there's structural shortage of oil. Um, it's going to take years for production to fix, but the demand side is going to really rebound, especially as we get through this last of the COVID and now we got the antiviral pills. I, I think the COVID situation looks so much better next year. Investors really do want to have more exposure. So we're, we're seeing incremental interest and you're, you're seeing it in the relative performance. Hey, Tom, when you look at this time of year, Everyone always starts to throw out those biggest surprise trades of the following year. Where do you see rates and how does that mess up your uh, prognosticating of the uh, of the year, whether it's energy, whether it's the banks? Everyone expects rates to explode above two percent. But what happens if if it doesn't? What happens if they don't? What happens if we see a 10 year that's one point two, one point three for the majority of the year? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a key battleground actually, because as you know, at the moment, the bond market 
is looking for Fed liftoff far more aggressively than the street is and obviously more aggressive than the Fed. So the big pivot next year is what if inflation turns out to be a head fake and we actually start to see stable to falling inflation on a lot of goods? That would be a big shock because you would see, as exactly described, a huge adjustment across the entire curve of yields. But I, I think it ends up being that yields are lower and it really elevates equity risk premium, which means the market could you know, go into another gear. Tom, um, I want to ask you about Bitcoin because you've got a big call. You think $100,000 is where it goes in the final weeks of the year. I mean, is Thanksgiving going to be a catalyst? Is this going to be one of these Thanksgivings where people are around the table and they're talking about Ethereum and Bitcoin and NFTs and so on, and, and that's what helps Bitcoin go higher? Uh, Melissa, that that's what happens, you know, it, around Thanksgiving is people talk about things that have really either been transforming um, or life changing. You know, crypto is one of those things because, as you know, like even uh, something like one in five home down payments is coming from crypto profits. I mean, it's some staggering number for first time home buyers. So I think it's like 2017. People come home for Thanksgiving. They talk about crypto. There's only 200 million real wallets like users of crypto worldwide out of 7 billion people so it's still the earliest stages so i think both institutional and individuals are going to talk a lot about crypto and i think they're going to conclude 2022 is a great year and and that's what i think really strengthens bitcoin into year end one in five home down payments comes from crypto profits that is a for, for first time home buyers yeah i saw that study it was shocking yeah. Wow. Imagine what it is, what the impact will be on the economy during a crypto winter. I think that will also be interesting yep. to watch if that ever happens. <laughs> Tom, great to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks. You too. And to the Tom, crew. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. Um, Dan Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I, you know, listen, Tom has had a lot of great calls this year. And, you know, when we think about the volatility in the stock market or the lack thereof in the, in the S&P 500, there hasn't been a peak to trough decline of more than 6%. And Tom's been telling his clients to rotate properly when we've had that volatility, buy the dip in the S&P 500. That's been the right trade. I do think his call in crypto is really interesting because, you know, when I think about Bitcoin, um, you know, I get it. I get the institutional adoption and I get why um, it gets bought, you know, at every big dip and 25 percent dips are not that unheard of. We had a 55 percent one this year. What I find most interesting coming out of Thanksgiving might be Ethereum and it might be all the discussion. And Mel, we were talking about it earlier in the week about NFTs. And that might be the sort of thing where people get excited about and they may reload on an Ethereum. And not that people need to buy a coin, but forty two hundred bucks for an ETH versus fifty seven. 7,000 for um, a Bitcoin. And I get it. I know people are buying little slices of this and that or whatever. I think Ethereum is the one that I would probably look to double before uh, Bitcoin. I mean, you got to you got to put money on the fact that, you know, Uncle Bob or Grandma is going to be asking you, Tim, about, well, you know, what is this NFT thing? What do you do with these NFTs when you buy them? You know, it, it's going to be the talk because that's that's what the cultural that's where the zeitgeist is right now, so to speak. I, I agree, although I've been a seller of Uncle Bob for years. He knows it. He doesn't step foot in my house. And, and that's just, you know, but, but I, I think we, we said this. People are thinking commercially in, in Ethereum conversion ratios. Um, that tells you a lot. Um, there, there is more than just uh, the dynamic of the NFT that really is 
all, all speculation, but in fact, those that people are looking at as yield instruments. And, 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 and so I, I do think that just the evolution of the NFT market is not just about a, a lot of the hype and a lot of the speculation, although, you know, either way, it's speculation. But therefore, yes, thinking in terms of currencies quickly, though, on the market and, and the housing uh, down payments that are one in five from from crypto profits. We've also said on this show that the treasury instrument du jour of choice for a lot of these traders are mega cap tech companies. And, and I think that is something that you should be concerned about also as a knock on effect from that that uh, potential crypto winter whenever it strikes. Yep. By the way, we've got a special hour tonight starting at 6 p.m. Crypto night in America. So if you want to study up guy ahead of Thanksgiving dinner on all things crypto, you can tune in at six. Coming up, retailers getting rocked ahead of Black Friday. So should you get into these names at a discount or leave them at the register? The traders are breaking it down. Plus, airlines are gearing up for a much needed Thanksgiving travel surge. Phil LeBeau is live on the ground at the Chicago O'Hare Airport with more. Phil. Melissa, this is the best week for air travel in the U.S. since before the pandemic. Is it enough to drive the airlines to a profitable fourth quarter? We'll talk about that when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. 20 million people. That's how many passengers the TSA expects to screen this busy holiday travel weekend. And it could be a major gut check moment for the airline trade. Phil LeBeau is live at Chicago O'Hare Airport for more on this holiday rush. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, the good news for the airlines, it's been a smooth start to the holiday week, and it's expected to continue all the way through Sunday and Monday. That's the good news. Also, the fact that they are seeing record number of people fly for the, going back before the pandemic. In fact, if you look at the numbers last week, it was down just 13 percent compared to 2019, an improvement over the first half of November and an improvement over October. We're not back to 2019 levels, but it is improving. As for airfares, they are also ticking up, which is what the airlines like, but they are not quite the 2019 levels. UBS out with a note this morning saying, well, 3Q21 and 4Q21 average advertised fares are up 10 to 15 percent. Overall, average ticket prices remain down in the high teen range versus pre-pandemic levels. You take that along with the fact that they are dealing with higher costs. We've talked about jet fuel being up 
70% in the last year. It's the reason why when you look at the large airlines, the big four that we refer to them, the analysts are all expecting them to report some type of a loss in the fourth quarter. Now, it should be an improvement over the third quarter, but it's still prob probably going to be a loss. And also, when you take a look at jet fuel, it has eased a bit. And there have been a few people who say, look, maybe we saw the worst of the jet fuel increase. Maybe we start to see things come back a little bit. So for all of the airlines, and we're showing you also uh, Alaska JetBlue, Frontier, as well as Spirit, that would also buoy them, especially if we see the demand stay as robust as it is, Melissa. Bottom line is this. This is the week that the airlines needed. It's off to a great start. Now they need to see this continue through the rest of the holiday season. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau, Chicago O'Hare Airport. Obviously, we could trade the airlines here, but obviously people are going someplace. They're staying someplace. They're doing things when they get there. Grasso, you highlighted some of these stocks earlier. Yeah, Marriott Vacation Club actually looks like a better buy to me as a setup on the chart versus Marriott Hotels. Marriott Hotels actually looks like it's, it's formed a head and shoulders pattern. It looks like it wants to uh, come in about 10%. But as far as the airlines, they all look the same to me on a chart. They all look like they are ready to bounce. They've all ran up pretty recently. They've uh, come off pretty substantially. And now they all look like they're bouncing right where they should. Expedia actually had a pretty good run from 157 or so to 188. And then it stopped on a dime right at the 50% retracement. That one actually looks like it's due for a run as well. Expedia, Guy, you like that one, the E and the Hope trade. You, it's unbelievable. I'm a, like a trap, steel trap your mind. Yes, you recall that properly. I'll throw one at you there, Melms. Look at the quarter that Airbnb put up a couple weeks ago. Very strong quarter. The stock rallied, ran into a huge double top at 215. I think the prior high was back in May or thereabouts. If you get an opportunity down in the mid-165, 170 area, you buy this name with both hands. The quarter was very good. And when things do reopen in earnest, Again, I'm not sure who he is, but when it finally does happen, Airbnb, I think, is going significantly <laughs> higher. So throw that one in your, in your, what are they called, on your shopping list or your wish list or whatever list it is. Whatever you want, you call it. That's what, that's Black what it Friday is. Black Friday list. My wife, everybody's yelling at me. I got people in the kitchen yelling at me to yell. The, it's a craziness here in this We're house tonight. I'm sorry. Now. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, coming up. <laughs> Retail wreck, big names sinking ahead of Black Friday. But are these stocks worth a try on? Plus, Diamond in the Rough, the JP Morgan CEO, walking back comments on China. It was a joke. Now he's taking it back. The details on that one next. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Nordstrom and Gap cratering today after disappointing earnings reports. Both stocks at new 52-week lows. The big move comes as we gear up for the most important time of the year for the retailers. And while these companies may be struggling with supply chain issues, our next guest says the consumer should be strong through the end of the year. Here to get us ready for Black Friday is Gerald Storch, Storch Advisors CEO. Great to see you, Jerry. My pleasure. So do you still stick by the, uh, the winners? I mean, how, are, how have they been faring since the last time we talked, I think a few weeks ago? Well, uh, fantastic. I mean, it's very, very clear that the consumers are spending at an absolutely unprecedented level. You know, they're fueled by strong balance sheets and multi-trillion dollar uh, government spending. So when you look at sales versus 2019 over the last several months, they've been growing at about 20 percent, 20 percent versus 2019. And that appears to be accelerating to this day. It doesn't mean everybody's got it right. You know, a strategy that was weak before the pandemic doesn't suddenly become brilliant. And so I still would shy away from department stores and apparel stores. I'd be very worried about them. Meanwhile, you know, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, TJ Maxx, Costco, these are, are companies that won before the pandemic, they won during the pandemic, and they're winning now. In some cases, their stocks went down, even though they're great companies, because they didn't meet very lofty expectations. But I'd put any one of them into a, you know, a, a savings account or an investment account for my children or my grandchildren. I wouldn't do that, as I said, with department stores or with apparel stores. I just don't think that they know where they're going after this ends. It seems like a blanket statement on, on the part of department stores, Gerald. And I'm wondering if, if you see any difference for Macy's or if you think that that is also in the failing category, destined to fail despite the stock run. And it seems to be managing inventory issues through the supply chain pretty decently. Well, sure. It's really interesting. But when you look at the bigger picture, department stores have already lost. Uh, all of them have either gone out of business or they've shrunk and lost significant market share compared to the companies I was mentioning earlier. They really are not a significant market factor anymore in retailing, but we like to talk about them. We all heard about them. There's still a parade, et cetera. What we did see was that Macy's outperformed a company like Nordstrom, and Nordstrom kind of blamed the supply chain, so did the gap. But what's, what's happening this year is that the supply chain has become the new weather. You know how retailers used to blame the weather every time uh, something went wrong because it's an exogenous factor that you couldn't blame on management? Well, it looks like now it's the supply chain. How can Macy's report good numbers and Nordstrom not, and yet you blame it on the supply chain? I think some of these businesses have fundamental issues that they need to address. And in other cases, they simply have not worked their supply chain hard enough, diversified their sourcing. A lot of them are way too dependent on countries in Southeast Asia, you know, and, so, and they haven't been able to get those goods in ahead of time. Others have done that. But that's only going to help them through this holiday. I just want to point that out again. You still have the fact that millennials are not suddenly going to wake up from the pandemic and decide they want to shop like their grandmother's shop. They're not going, I'm going to department stores. I love them. You know, just because uh, Macy's was able to get the goods in stock. That's not a long-term solution. These companies must reinvent themselves. And I would say they might be, you know, 10 to 25 percent of the way there. And time will run out as we get into uh, years in the future. I'm with you. You know, you mentioned a couple names that we've talked about forever. Costco and Home Depot specifically. The, the only concern, if there is one that I have, is people have piled into this. And valuation does not seem to be a concern right now. And these names have been parabolic. Is it too much too fast, do you think, in a couple of these names? 
I think that's a really great question. I'm not a stock picker like, like uh, you folks are. You know, I pay more attention to the fundamentals of the business. Everyone that I've named, I think, you know, that I've said as a winner is a great company and a great long-term investment. But there are three I'd point out that haven't, the stocks haven't grown as much this year, but I think they're still fantastic companies. One is Walmart. And I know every time I say people, oh, I'm not so sure. But the stocks go nowhere all year, despite the fact they keep kicking the cover off the ball or hitting the cover of the ball, both online and in stores. And they're still the dominant grocer in the country, and nobody's been able to knock them from that throne. You also have TJX, the premier off-price retailer. When the doors reopen, people are going to flock there, and they will have no trouble, trust me, getting goods in this environment. You know, and then I'd have to come up with Amazon. For gosh sakes, the stock has gone nowhere all year. They're the dominant player, dominant, in the largest, most rapidly growing sector of retail today, e-commerce. No one is even close to them. Everyone else, even Walmart, is a fraction of their size in e-commerce. So you have to look at that company and go, gee, it took a little pause here. When's it going to resume that acceleration that we've seen for 20 years? Gerald, great to see you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Gerald Storch, I think he raises a very good point in terms of you can be a winner in the industry in terms of sales, et cetera, but not necessarily a winner in the eyes of the stock market in terms of stock appreciation. So a Walmart and an Amazon versus, let's say, a Target, another winner, Macy's, Tim, where would you go? Impassioned uh, analysis by Jerry. Uh, look, I, I'm long Walmart and Amazon, and, and I, I think both of those stocks uh, are victims of a couple things. Amazon, ridiculous comps coming out of COVID, so through COVID, they finally cleared those comps. Um, to me, that is the top mega caps tech stock. Um, Walmart, look, it, you know, relative to Target, it's underperformed at 40 percent, 40 percent on a one-year basis. Uh, the multiple hardly demanding. And, and as Jerry pointed out, actually, in a world where we have inflation, food inflation is actually a good thing for Walmart. Um, and I think their ability to also be, you know, a, a push people around on price uh, continues to be the case. But they get zero credit for being an e-commerce retailer. Meanwhile, we know where Amazon trades. So um, like both of those trades, like Walmart uh, over Target, uh, not as a function of execution, as a function of valuation and performance. Dan, I will not only ask you what you like in retail, but perhaps what you dislike. So we can open well, the field up a little more. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, Jerry brings up a great point about the disparity in the results between like a Macy's and a Nordstrom's. Um, you know, that was pretty interesting to me. I agree on the Walmart. Um, I also agree on his TJX. I think that's one that's probably ready to kind of head back towards those prior highs. So you maybe have about a 10% move, maybe into um, year end. Um, also, I will mention though, I mean, there's just some crazy moves. You know, we started out talking about Gap today and obviously Nordstrom today. Um, that move in Best Buy this week, I mean, that stock went up in a straight line, like 35% in two months, and then, you know, gives half of it back in, in like that. So I just think there's a lot of really weird dislocations going on here. And then when you look at that Costco chart, please pull up that Costco chart. That's not normal for a $250 billion market cap company, which is not actually doing that much better than some of its biggest competitors. So to me, I just think there's a lot of oddness going on. And once we get through some of these supply chain bottlenecks or whatever food inflation and all this other stuff going on i think next year it's probably going to be a reversion for some of these things that have just gone straight up all right well uh, kramer is doubling down on one retail name to find out which one you can check out the cnbc investing club newsletter all the information to sign up is right there on your screen coming up a diamond in the rough jp morgan ceo jamie diamond walking back some comments he made 
about the Communist Party in China, what he regrets saying about the country and the fallout. The details are next. And later, we're heading south of the border for options action. We'll tell you how traders are playing the move in one Mexican ETF. All that and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Jamie Dimon doing some damage control today. The J.P. Morgan Chase CEO walking back comments he made on China. Speaking at Boston College yesterday, Dimon quipped that his Wall Street bank would outlast China's Communist Party. Dimon saying today, quote, I regret and should not have made that comment. I was trying to emphasize the strength and longevity of our company. Um, J.P. Morgan and the Communist Party in China were celebrating their 100th anniversary. They were basically established on the same day. So, Dan, what's your take on this? Yeah, listen, we've seen this, Mel, a, a lot with, with a lot of corporate leaders, you know, really having to walk a line um, with the Chinese. You know, there's a huge opportunity for any American company that wants access to their billion plus consumer. I think the number is a billion, too. Um, and, and listen, you know, the reasons that people love Jamie Dimon as a CEO are also the reasons why he every once in a while sticks his foot in his mouth. We all do it. So the fact is he came back. He probably did exactly what he needed to do. I'm sure there's going to be some back channeling with some stuff there. And, and JP Morgan's plans in China are probably going to be on track. I feel like for business people, particularly CEOs, there are three things that you never want to talk about, right? I mean, politics, religion and China, Tim. I mean, you just you don't make fun of the Communist Party. That just strikes me as kind of dumb. You're just asking for trouble. Yeah. And you play by China's rules uh, on the ground. And, and Xi Jinping has, has proven that he's highly sensitive to any, uh, you know, like they're going to be a lot more sensitive to any attack upon uh, their social structure than they are even on their economy. So, uh, you know, this is an issue that I think is we've talked about. I think Jamie Dimon has, has very delicately sidestepped through this. I, I think the, the Communist Party has done their own damage to their own markets. And, and they care a lot about being a global market center, about having their capital markets be uh, a place where investors have confidence, et cetera. If you look at the K-Web, the Chinese ETF of really their internet companies, it's down 55% off the highs. Some of these names are down closer to 60, 70%. A company like Alibaba last week got sold off on uh, not great numbers. It's not about the numbers. Um, it's ultimately about the, the, you know, the arbitrary dynamic in which uh, I think the Chinese government rules over. And they can, they can hide behind cyber, they can hide behind regulatory antitrust, um, but the reality is you're, you've basically taken out the last two and a half years. You're at 2017 levels. That's actually getting very, very interesting, despite all my criticism. Guy, you've got a Cheshire cat grin on your face. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know how to spell Cheshire. Are you a fan of Peanuts, Melms? I know you are. I know you I am. You mean like and Snoopy we just Peanuts have, it's the or, great like, or like Walnuts and Peanuts? I like no, both. no, 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 no. Like Precisely both. Snoopy Peanuts. So just okay. bear with me here because I will come to a point, hopefully before the crypto show that starts at 6. But you remember it's a great pumpkin, Charlie <laughs> Brown. Linus Van Pelt was in the pumpkin patch with Sally Brown, and he said, if the great pumpkin comes... And then he realized, he said, if and not when, and he was doomed. He couldn't put that genie back in the bottle, and the great pumpkin didn't show up. Same thing with Jamie Dimon, man. He'll walk it back. It don't matter. The great pumpkin ain't ah. showing up at J.P. Morgan this year. See what Jamie's I did there? Jamie's Linus. Yep. Wow. Great. All right. Uh, coming up, we're heading down to Mexico for some options action. Traders betting one ETF keeps heading south. The details on that trade next. And get ready to load up your flights. We're digging into some food stocks with a game of feast or fast. 
our annual tradition. The traders are setting the table on these names next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back. Coming up at the top of the hour on CNBC, a CNBC special, Crypto Night in America. The latest moves, potential regulation, and the future for the crypto space. You won't want to miss it. 6 p.m. Eastern time right here on CNBC. The stock's going south, south of the border. The EWW MSCI Mexico ETF losing 1.5% in today's session as the Mexican peso dropped just about 1% against the dollar. Options traders are all over this move, and one whale is betting on a lot more pain ahead. Mike Coe is the action. Mike. Yeah, so EWW traded 11 times its 20-day average put volume and puts outpaced calls by about 2.5 to 1. The trade we saw was a buy of 3,000 of the January 43 puts. The buyer of those was paying about $1.10 for those and then selling 4,500 of the 40-strike puts, same expiration at 50 cents. And the buyer of that ratio put spread is betting that EWW is going to fall between those two strikes. That would be a decline of 8 to 13 percent over the course of the next eight weeks. And as you point out, this does have a lot to do with the peso because EWW is not a currency hedged ETF. Got to go to the EM specialists for his thoughts. Tim. Well, you've got that 4% dollar move in November. You've had Mexico, which is, uh, first of all, that EWW has things like cell, cell phone companies, uh, a couple of banks in there. It's not a terribly sexy, uh, you know, call it cyclically oriented ETF, um, nor is that economy outside of oil. Uh, and I do think if you see oil prices stay here, um, I actually think Mexico remains an interesting investment. But look, right now, EM's under pressure with the dollar move it's making, uh, and that's where option traders are making their bet here. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is next Friday. We're off this Friday. Next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, the table is set. We are gearing up for Thanksgiving by serving up a heaping helping of food stocks. The traders are filling their plates next. Do not go anywhere. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tomorrow, families all across America will gather around the dinner table to celebrate Thanksgiving. So with food on our minds, we thought it'd be a perfect time to play a game of feast or fast. Which food-related stocks are traders gobbling up and which names are they leaving for leftovers? Here's how the game works. The rules are very simple. If a trader likes the stock, he will say feast and you will hear that. If a trader does not like the stock, he will say fast and you will see and hear that. So let's get going. We start off with Chipotle losing a little bit of sizzle today. So Tim, you biting into this one? Uh, I got to tell you, I am going to fast on this one. And and uh, look, I've been fasting on this one for a long time and I've been wrong. Um, the valuation, whoa, whoa, okay. Um, the valuation has really not made sense for the last thousand dollars on the stock. Um, still trades north of you know 65. But relative to the peer group that's come up to meet it, look, their pricing power, their ability to execute uh, the growth, the menu, the margin, the loyalty. I get it. Um, but I'm fasting. Guy, how about you? I think you know where I stand. I mean, the burrito blowout is alive and well. The stock has sold off from 1950 <laughs> down to these levels. You have 30 percent EPS, EPS growth, which I think justifies the valuation. They've, their digital model is probably best in breed right now. They did announce they were going to reduce emissions by 50 percent by 2030. I thought that was one of the selling points of CMG. But who am I? Uh, I like it. I'm feasting. 
I can't decide which sound effect I like better. Um, let's move on to Darden restaurants, up about 25% this year. So, Steve, does this look tasty? Yeah, this would be a feast uh, for me. During the pandemic, people would, people would order out. And now, as we're coming out of the pandemic, they're dining in. The chart looks like it wants to bounce. The street price targets have this thing up at around 172, 175, somewhere thereabouts. I would still be a feast of this one. I like the chain. I like, I like the restaurants they have. And I do think that the future is brighter than uh, the present. Guy Darden. Fasting. I got to fast. I mean, listen, as half Italian, half Sicilian, the Olive Garden thing just doesn't do it for me. I did Capital Grill, but, you know, this stock had that huge run. I think he had a blow off top. I think it trades down to 138 before it makes new all-time highs. Fast. Let's get to Hershey. Dan, do you have a sweet tooth on this one? I do not, Mel. I want to fast. This is like if you're walking down the candy aisle here and you see a Hershey bar, but then you see a Twix just like a couple feet away. You're going for that Twix. There's just nothing exciting here about Hershey. This thing is supposed to grow earnings and sales mid-single digits next year. Trades about 24 times, 2% dividend deal. The stock has traded very well. I mean, you know, it looks like a good technical setup if you're playing for a breakout. I just can't find a reason why I want to take a bite out of this one. I mean, dark chocolate kiss with an almond in the middle. Tim, where are you on Hershey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to feast on this. And I, I know more about Milton Hershey than I care to, having taken my son there last Friday. So, um, look, Hershey, the reason you want to own it is because they're dominating every category they have. They have pricing power. They have margin. It's a case where the balance sheet is, is hardly constrained here. In fact, they're kind of one and a half times debt to EBITDA. I actually think they may be more aggressive. I think this is a great franchise, and I had a great time a week ago. How about McDonald's? McDonald's hitting an all-time high today, so Guy Feast or Fast? Feast. Absolutely feast. And I got to tell you, if I'm around at McDonald's on Friday, I'm definitely getting about six cheeseburgers, large fry, and a medium Coke. A new all-time high today. Stock continues to grind higher. People have shot against it on valuation incorrectly. Feast. Steve, how about you? Now, I'm going, to say, I'm going to say fast on this one. It's very difficult for me to say fast on this one because the chart setup looks excellent and everything about the company I love. It's all about the drive-through with McDonald's. They, they've limited their SKUs. They know how to do it seasonality-wise. They figured out how to have the ordering through kiosks. But when you look at the chart, it might be slightly overextended. People are looking for a dining-in experience at this point. That would be my only headwind. That would be, uh, I'm hesitant to say it, but I'm going to stick with the fast. All right. Up next, we got your final trade. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Happy Thanksgiving, America. I'm guessing you'll be on Amazon after you get off the table ordering all those Christmas gifts. Amazon. Steve. Delta looks like it wants to take off. Dan Ethan. Yeah, we're talking about some of these social names that have been beaten up of late. I, I like Snap here. I'd like to play for a gap fill over the next couple months. I really wish you could do the gobble gobble sound from Feast or Famine one more time. Happy Turkey Day, Guy. Happy Turkey Day, everybody. Guy, what's your final trade? Uh, Jack Daniels to you, Melms. Brown Foreman into earnings in December. <laughs> nice. Thanks so much for watching Fast. Have a great, safe Thanksgiving Day. We'll be back on Monday. Don't go anywhere. CNBC's special Crypto Night in America starts right now.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.